Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom to help you develop unshakable inner peace so that you can live a liberated life. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, founder, head coach, and trainer over at Zen Stoic. Be sure to follow me on social at victor.zenstoic for content, updates, and to ask me directly your most important questions. Let's get into the show. So in this episode, we are going to be doing a continuation of our Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path. And in this episode, we are discussing integral livelihood. Now, the original translation of the Noble Eightfold Path is right livelihood. Now, right livelihood is essentially saying to make one's bread and butter in a way that does not interfere or conflict with one's liberation. So essentially what the Buddha was saying there is not to make our living through nefarious or illegal activity, to not violate societal laws or the dignity and sovereignty of other human beings or living things, to not to engage in work that is going to cause harm and suffering in the world. So in other words, not dealing with weapons, not dealing in human trafficking or narcotics or in dealing with poisons or anything that's going to cause harm or infringe upon the dignity of other living beings. Now, with the Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path, just like in the other sections, we want to take a more active approach and not just saying the negations of what not to do, but in how do we actively practice these principles of Zen Stoic philosophy. So with regards to integral livelihood, we want to make our living in a way that doesn't only not conflict with our liberation, but in a way that actively promotes and contributes to our liberation. So what that means is that we do work that creates emotional prosperity for us. We do work that creates a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction so that we are able to not just do well in our work and become successful, but that we're able to work in a way that is going to actively allow us to be able to accept ourselves, to love ourselves, and to respect ourselves each and every day. And to take that a step further is to engage in work that feels like play, to engage in work that we are able to essentially lose our sense of time and fall in love with the process of the work that we do and not merely be attached to the outcome. So there are a couple themes when it comes to integral livelihood that we're going to be going over in this episode. The first one is the theme of money and what money represents in our lives. The way in which we look at money is really important because it's directly associated with our livelihood. And whether we have a positive view of money or a negative view of money, it's really important that we're able to shift our perception in a way that allows us to create an integral livelihood and live liberated. The second thing that we're going to be going into are the seven Zen Stoic human needs. When it comes to our livelihood, when it comes to businesses that we either own or businesses that we work for, livelihood is all about solving problems for others. And the solving of problems is the meeting of needs for other people. All businesses are focused on meeting needs because businesses are all about solving problems and any problem that we have is just an unmet need that we experience. Next, we're going to be going into the Japanese concept of ikigai, which means one's reason for being. Now, ikigai is something that a lot of people really love when they see it. It makes a lot of sense intellectually, but sometimes people don't really know where to start and it can become confusing or daunting to think about the way that they look at their life's purpose in this view. So we're going to be going over that in a really interesting way to look at it so that it's easy to understand and you know exactly where to start to create an integral livelihood. 
And lastly, we're going to be going into the five laws of stratospheric success from The Go-Giver. The Go-Giver is one of my favorite books that I've read recently, and it all it ties all of what we're talking about together so that we're not only able to create an integral livelihood, but we're able to create stratospheric success in our lives and live with a sense of emotional prosperity where we truly love what it is that we're doing and how we're spending our time and energy to earn our living. So it's really important for us when we're talking about the idea of livelihood to also talk about the idea of money because money is going to be a really important topic when it comes to this idea of generating our livelihood, of doing our work. Now, in some spiritual circles or some philosophical circles, this idea of money is sometimes poo-pooed and looked at as some kind of a necessary evil, this thing that we just happen to have to deal with in order to be able to sustain our lives. Now, the idea of money is that money inherently is neutral. Money doesn't have any inherent meaning except for the meaning that we give it, right? It's an agreed upon currency of exchange that we use to exchange services. Now, when we think about business and services and the work that we do, whether you own a business or you work for a business, when we really break it down, all businesses is solving problems and it's solving different problems for different people. Now we have 8 billion people on the planet with all kinds of different needs. So there are a variety of businesses that exist to help to meet those needs. And that's all business is. It's solving problems. So what do we define as a problem? A problem is anytime one of our needs isn't met. Now, if your whole intention when it comes to your work is just about earning money, then you may miss the boat when it comes to living with integral livelihood. There's a quote from Alan Watts that I love that describes this really well. And he says, if you say that getting the money is the most important thing, you'll spend your life completely wasting your time. You'll be doing things that you don't like doing in order to go on living. That is to go on doing things that you don't like doing, which is stupid. Now, this is very interesting because Alan Watts, he had a really interesting view when it came to this idea of money. One thing that we tend to mistake is we tend to mistake money for wealth. And they are not the same thing. Money is our symbol for wealth. It's how we exchange value with one another. But the money itself is not wealth. The money itself is simply our means for exchange, which is inherently neutral. The thing is, when people get attached to the idea of money, it's very much like mistaking the finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself. Money points to wealth and value, but it itself is not wealth and value. What is wealth and value is the meeting of our needs on a consistent basis. Now, as human beings, we live a temporary existence as sensitive organisms who are subject to injury, death, disease, and the, fr the inevitable frustration of attempting to solve insoluble problems that we create in our minds. So what this means is that when it comes to business, Business is all about solving problems for others. Solving problems for others is helping to meet the needs of others through the business in which you operate. Whether you are an owner of that business or you're an employee, you are contributing to the solving of those problems and meeting the needs of the people who are buying into the product or service. So all of this to say that if you're just pursuing money and it's not about necessarily meeting the needs in a way that meets your needs and allows you to feel fulfilled, then you are missing the integral livelihood because if we are just pursuing the money, we are pursuing a concept. We are pursuing this idea or a symbol of wealth and not actual wealth itself. 
Wealth comes from the meeting of our needs. And when we feel wealthy, when we feel rich, it is because we're able to meet our needs consistently in the way that we most desire without infringing upon our other needs or the needs of others. That is what allows us to feel truly wealthy. Money alone will not allow us to feel wealthy because it is only one part of the equation. So when it comes to integral livelihood, it is about doing work that feels like play. Or like in Zen, making practice the goal, falling in love with the process of the work that we do, not just working for the outcome, not just working for the end goal. So I did a reflection recently because I was doing some work in my business to scale my message, to scale the services that I was doing and get it, get the word out to more people. Now, the way in which I was doing it was through doing online advertising, running ads and creating sales funnels. Now, for me, I don't actually enjoy doing any of that work. What I enjoy is this right here, right? doing a podcast, creating something. I love talking with people, having conversations, doing coaching sessions with people. Like that's where my joy is. It is not in creating sales funnels and doing online advertising and learning all of these things and working with all the tech there. But I, w I, I personally got attached to the outcome of what that would bring me, right? I had a certain financial goal that I wanted to meet. So I started doing those things that I should do to meet it. The thing is, I was attached to the outcome of the financial goal that I was pursuing. So what that means is that it creates this experience where the validation of your time and energy and how you spend it is completely dependent on whether or not you achieve the outcome. And if you don't achieve the outcome, it feels like a waste of time and energy and ultimately creates frustration in the process. So when I started looking at my work that way, I noticed I was getting frustrated and stressed as can be, and I wasn't actually making any forward progress because I was attached to the outcome. I was attached to the idea of the financial goal. In other words, I was just pursuing the money. Now, when I realized this, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, this is not the way to work. This is not even how I coach people how to work, and yet I'm doing it myself. So I had to reflect on that, and when I reflected on that, I realized that what's actually more important when it comes to the work is doing work that I sincerely enjoy, doing work that feels like play. And work that feels like play for me is anytime I'm creating, anytime I'm teaching, anytime I'm coaching or empowering somebody, that's what feels like play for me. And so I decided to focus all of my efforts into that, into creating podcasts, into coaching uh, into coaching clients, into teaching trainings and helping people to make a better impact in the world. That's what really brings me joy. So what I realize is that if I focus on what I sincerely desire to do in my work, then what that's going to do is that's going to create satisfaction in the process where just doing the process alone of what it takes to get wherever I'm going is going to allow me to feel fulfilled and build a sense of emotional prosperity because I'm doing what I really love and thus is not dependent on the outcome. So it releases my emotional attachment to the outcome. So the way that I look at that and the way that I operate in my business now is that I only do what I sincerely desire to do. So if I have a goal or an outcome that requires certain work to be done that I don't genuinely enjoy doing or that I don't desire to do, what I do is I instead look for another person within my network or I look for somebody online who actually does enjoy doing the process of the thing I don't like doing. So in this case, it was you know building sales funnels, building websites, landing pages, doing online advertising, which I don't like to do. But there are people in the world who love to do that. Now, this is the same advice I gave to one of my coaching clients who runs a successful ID badge company. Now, 
for him, there was a lot of areas in the business that he was running into that were causing frustration that essentially felt like work. So one of the pieces of coaching that I gave him, what we explored during one of our sessions was that I had him look at the processes of the entire business and ask himself what felt like work and what felt like play. And when he went through everything, I had him focus on only doing the things that felt like play and leveraging out the tasks that felt like work. And the result of this is after a single call that we had about this topic, he actually was able to empower one of his employees with work that he doesn't genuinely enjoy doing. And with her new roles and responsibilities that he empowered her with, they ended up making an additional $40,000 on that single decision in extra cash flow that they didn't see before because she wasn't empowered with the tasks that he was previously doing that felt like work to him, that made him attached to the outcome rather than enjoying the process. So this idea of being able to treat your work like play is really, really important. So when it comes to integral livelihood, we don't just want to pursue the money. We don't want to get attached to the outcome because we end up doing work that we don't like doing and spending all of our time feeling like we're working and feeling frustrated and attached to an outcome instead of actually enjoying the way in which we spend our time. This is really key because if we enjoy the way that we spend our time, we feel satisfaction in the work that we do. We feel fulfillment. We feel pleasure and love for the process that allows us to live a liberated life because we are spending our time in a way that allows us to feel totally present in what we're doing rather than attached to some desired future. Now, it's really important that we also talk about the idea of business when we talk about integral livelihood. Whether you own a business or you work for a business, it's really important to understand what business is. Business is just solving problems for other people. And what constitutes as a problem is anytime our needs aren't met. So it's important for us to understand what are the human needs that business solves? What are the needs that we do our work for? And more importantly, not, are, not just are we solving the needs of others, but are we solving the needs in a way that also fulfill our needs, right? There's this reciprocal relationship that is going to allow us to have a sense of integral livelihood. And it's not just solving needs for other people through the work that we do, but it's solving needs in a way that also meets our needs. When we do that, we love the process, we help other people, and there's this reciprocity that occurs of value that is really key to our liberation. So over multiple years of studying psychology, coaching thousands of people, I've come up with a list that is by no means exhaustive, but a list of Zen Stoic human needs. What's really important about these needs is that these are the needs that we fulfill in our work, but also the needs that we need to fulfill in the actual doing of our work. So this list is actually a list of needs that we fulfill when it comes to solving other people's problems, but also the needs that we need to fulfill in ourselves in order to feel that sense of liberation in the work that we do. So here are the seven Zen Stoic human needs. They are physical wellness, play, sovereignty, love, sincerity, meaning, and harmony. So I'll go through each of them briefly. Physical wellness is pretty straightforward, right? This has to do with our sustenance, our safety, our health, our fitness. And meeting this need is really important for meeting any other need, right? We always want to be able to have our sense of physical wellness because it allows us to operate at our best. It allows us to operate in a way that we feel safe, in a way that we feel nourished and sustained, and in a way that we can actively be healthy in all of our pursuits. The next need is the need for play. Now, sometimes people can look at life in a very rigid way, especially if we're looking at things and we're being too stoic, then we might be very rigid on this idea. But play is universal within all mammals, right? We all 
value this idea of play and we're all going to get into play and play is essentially what we live for it is our our creativity our sense of adventure our humor our ability our ability to laugh at things our sense of pleasure this is really important as human beings and play is key for us this is where we engage in art we engage in music in poetry in any kind of creative pursuits this is where we engage in not just eating for survival or for fuel but we eating for pleasure right and this is a key experience when it comes to our existence as human beings. We're not just here to survive and just be physically well and only meet that first need, but we have a need for play. And one of the best ways to describe this need is from the movie The Dead Poet Society, where Robin Williams says the following. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. So this is really key because we don't just live to function. We don't just live to survive. And if we do just focus on living to survive, then we end up living a very dull existence. Play is what truly makes life worth living. It is it's what makes us feel totally alive. The next need is our need for sovereignty. So sovereignty has to do with our autonomy. Now, when we are engaging in business and work, if we're doing work that doesn't allow us to feel sovereign, doesn't allow us to feel a sense of autonomy. In other words, if we feel like a slave in the work that we're doing, we are violating our own sovereignty. If we're not able to you know, be who we are, we're violating that sense of sovereignty if we feel like we don't have a choice, if we feel like we don't have autonomy in the work that we do. And also, if we are providing a product or a service that is taking away from somebody's sovereignty, then we are also contributing to the lack of their sense of liberation. So we want to do work that allows us to feel sovereign and that allows us to create sovereignty for others or promote that in others. The next human need is the need for love. Now, love is all about community, connection, a sense of belonging, a, a sense of feeling empathy and compassion for ourselves and others. The work that we do, we want to allow others to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of community. It's not about just, you know, having the things that we need to be entertained or, or meeting our needs for physical wellness or just, you know, being able to do what we want and be free in the world, but it's also about connecting with people and doing work that allows us to feel connected to the people that we are servicing, whether they are buying a product and you never see their face or they're directly engaged in a service where you are there with them. We want to engage in work that we are able to create this. And again, our work doesn't have to meet all of these needs but we want to meet at least a few of them without violating the others. So the need for us to have love in our lives, the need for us to feel a sense of connection, this is really important for human beings to stay connected because as human beings, we are social animals. We are made for each other, like Marcus Aurelius says. So we want to do work that allows us to feel a sense of connection and not a sense of divisiveness or not a sense of you know feeling isolated from other people. We need love to survive. We need love to essentially continue on and thrive as a species, right? Human beings, we're not the fastest, or the strongest animals in the food chain, but the reason why we are on top of the food chain is our ability to connect with one another. It's our ability to cooperate and come together towards common goals. And this is fueled by love. It's not just fueled by survival, but it's it's fueled by the emotions that we are able to channel when we love someone or we love something or we love you know a, a pursuit that we are, are doing. This is why when it comes to our work, it is really important that we create 
work in our lives, that we create a livelihood, that we are actually able to love the process. Because if we love the process, then we will do it well. and We will feel excited to innovate. We'll feel excited to solve, you know, bigger problems in a more sophisticated way. This is why love is so important. It's not just love for other people, but it's also love for what we are doing. And we want to be able to meet this need. We want to feel connected to that it, that, that which we do for work so that we're able to do it better, so that we're able to solve the problems better for others in a way that truly meets our needs. The next need is the need for meaning. Now, meaning is ultimately the need for a sense of purpose, for a sense of impact, uh, the, the idea of making the world a better place. And ultimately, entrepreneurs and business owners are in it not just for the money, or at least the, the real entrepreneurs and business owners are not just in it for the money, but they're in it to make the world better. They're in it to solve problems and make people's lives better. That's the idea of creating meaning in our work, right? If we're just doing work, again, if we're just doing work for money, then we're not creating any meaning. We don't feel a sense of purpose. We don't feel fulfilled by what we're doing. So we want to be able to create meaning in the work that we do for ourselves and meaning for others as much as we possibly can. And lastly, the seventh need is the need for harmony. Now, harmony can be described in multiple different ways depending on your viewpoint in life. And this is a bit more of a complex need because this can be something as simple as just feeling that all is right with the world and you're able to really enjoy the interconnectedness of all people and all things, right? To put it in a kind of vague way, or it can be even taken into a religious context and feeling a connection to a higher power, a connection to divinity, a, a, a pursuit of transcendence of one's soul to grow beyond just our, our existence as it is at the moment. So harmony can be a variety of different things. It's about creating tranquility and peace uh, around us. Right? And tranquility and peace doesn't mean that everything is just perfect. It just means that whatever it is that we're doing with, when it, with regards to our work is allowing us to create a sense of harmony in our world. So the way that this can show up is that you might love the work that you do, but if it's creating disharmony in your personal life, then there's some reflecting to do on that. There may be some changes or some adjustments to make in that. Otherwise, we're not meeting that need for harmony. So the idea with these seven needs is to ensure that when you are doing the work that you're doing, you're not just doing it for the money, but you're doing it because of what the money provides, right? What the money buys you and what it provides is the ability to meet your needs consistently. And true wealth is meeting your needs in the way that you genuinely desire to do so and being able to do so so much that you're also able to meet the needs of others and those that you care about uh, you know, with, with the way in which you're living your life. So being able to not just use these seven needs as a guide of how to actually solve the problems that other people might have, but to also make sure that you are not violating any of those needs for uh, your clients and customers or for yourself in the work that you're doing. If we adhere to this, then we are practicing that sense of integral livelihood because we're meeting our needs in a way that uh, it, that we truly desire to do so. And we are helping meet the needs of others. We are making the world a better place by helping to solve the problems of others and meet their needs. Now, another important concept to discuss here when it comes to integral livelihood is the concept of ikigai. It's a Japanese word for life's purpose or one's reason for being. Now, it espouses that life purpose is the intersection of the following four things. What you love, what you're good at, what you're paid for, and what the world needs. 
Now, my good friend Sean Cecil of the Oculus Institute has a really interesting way of describing Ikigai, and I'll summarize what he shared with me because what he shared with me adheres to everything that we've discussed up until this point with regards to integral livelihood, which he says that most people might look at that, and depending on that person and what they value in life, they might try to start at a different area. Because if we ask ourselves, well, what work meets all four of those, sometimes the answer might be a little hard to come by. So some people, they might look at it and they say, well, let me do what the world needs because then I'll be useful. And if we're doing just what we think that the world needs, then what we're doing is we're coming from this place of just attempting to be useful to the world, attempting to not just necessarily be responsible for our own sense of purpose in the world, but essentially just looking at what everyone else needs. Now, the problem with that is that if we just focus on what everyone else needs, then we become a martyr and we don't actually focus on our own needs. And if we don't fulfill our own needs, then our ability to continue on and to become better at whatever it is that we're doing and helping others actually gets diminished because our cup is empty. Our cup isn't full and we are unable to actually serve from an empty cup. Now, maybe somebody asks themselves, okay, well, what, what can I get paid for? And so they look at the highest earning jobs that they can get paid for. And so they go after that and then maybe they end up climbing the wrong ladder of success. And then they get to this point where they're unfulfilled and they have the golden handcuffs where they're making all the money, but they're completely depressed and they're completely unfulfilled in the work that they do. Right? I've had clients before who were making more money than they knew what to do with, but they're absolutely miserable because that's all they went for. Right, So it goes back to our discussion about if we just pursue things for the money, then we're going to miss the point. Because the thing is, remember, money is a symbol for wealth and value, but it is not wealth and value itself. Wealth and value is the ability to meet our needs consistently in the way that we desire to do so. So $100,000 in cash is going to do you no good if you're stranded on an island because you can't eat the cash, you can't build a raft to escape with the cash, and the cash isn't going to hug you and tell you that everything's going to be okay. So the money itself is a symbol for it. If we just focus on what can I get paid for, then we're going to climb the wrong ladder of success, and we might end up having that success without the satisfaction and fulfillment, which is a failure in and of itself. Then the next thing we might look at is, well, what am I good at? Now, what am I good at is something that Sean Cecil described to me as a trauma response because it's essentially we're just looking to be praised for the things that we are skilled at. Now, that may not necessarily be what we like, right? We may just be called upon because we have a natural talent or skill or proclivity towards something. So if we just focus on what we're good at, that might not necessarily allow us to be able to find work that truly fulfills us and gives us a sense of purpose. So where do we look? we look at what do I love? And so if you look at what do I love, this is a very different approach to the work that we do. Because like we said earlier on this episode, if you look at what you love and you really love the work that you do, you're going to want to spend a lot of time with it. And if you spend a lot of time with it, you become good at it. And if you become good at it, you find ways to maybe get paid for it. And if you find more ways to meet the needs of the people around you or the, what the world needs, then you're able to scale that and get paid more and more for it. And so if we start with what we love, this is how we create integral livelihood. One example that Sean gave me that I thought was brilliant was actually the example of Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was cut from his team as a freshman. He didn't make the basketball team. So it's not like the world needed him to play basketball or it's not that he was good at basketball at the time. And it's not like he was getting paid for it at the time. But what he did have was that he loved basketball. 
And when he got cut, he was committed to really spending time with it and becoming good. And when he became good at basketball, then he started becoming, then he started getting rewarded for it. And as he got rewarded more and more for it, he got so good that he was able to make money with it. And he was able to become an icon and an inspiration and a role model for people because of his love for basketball, his love for the game. It wasn't just because he got paid for it and he was the best in the world. He created something. He created this whole inspiration and role model for countless people because he pursued what he loved. He started with what he loved. So if we are going to create our ikigai, it is important to start with what we love. That is how we create integral livelihood. Now I'm gonna give you one more idea that really ties all of this together. So one of my favorite books that I read recently was The Go-Giver. And The Go-Giver is a story about the five laws of stratospheric success. Now, what's really interesting about the five laws of stratospheric success is that they really adhere to what Marcus Aurelius said, where he said, your only job is to be a good human. And if we be a good human in the work that we do, then we are not only able to create integral livelihood, but we are able to live a liberated life by the way in which we do our work. So if you haven't read the book, The Go-Giver, I highly recommend going and reading it. But here are the five laws. The first law is the law of value, which is your worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. So this, again, builds upon what we've been talking about already. Now, your proclivity to give more value than you are paid for is going to be based on how much you love what it is that you're doing. If we are only in it for the money, then we are not going to sustain the fuel that is needed to give more value than what we are paid for. So when we give more value than what we take in payment, we are able to create more success in what we do because people feel like their needs are all being met by the services that we provide, even needs that our services didn't even intend to provide, right? Let's say we just have a food business, right? It's a restaurant or something, which funny enough, this example is told in the story of a restaurant in the book. If we are able to meet people's needs for physical wellness by giving them food and sustenance, but if we also allow them to feel a sense of belonging or allow them to feel a sense of adventure when they come to eat in our restaurant, then we are giving more value because we began from that place of doing what we love. And if you do what you love, then you'll have the fuel to continuously give more value because the work feels like play. It doesn't feel like work and it doesn't drain you. It actually fuels you. It energizes you to do work in that way. The second law of stratospheric success is the law of compensation, which is your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So again, if you start with what you love and your work feels like play, then you will have the energy to serve more and more people and give more then you take in payments. So you're now incorporating both of these laws. The third law is the law of influence, which says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, this is really important. The ability to place other people's interests first is not just a cognitive process that you need to think about doing, but to place other people's interests first, it comes with being able to serve from a full cup. So what does that mean? It is doing work that serves other people's needs and serves your needs to do it in that way. So that means that you want to start with what you love when it comes to the Ikigai. Start with what you love and you'll be able to put other people's needs first and to really focus on what they need because just by doing the process, your needs are fulfilled. You feel satisfied and fulfilled by the process. So you're able to very easily and effortlessly put other people's needs first. 
That's why doing what you love is so important, falling in love with the process of the work, not just the outcome, not just pursuing the money. This is also called enlightened self-interest. And we're able to reach enlightened self-interest not by being a martyr and just giving it all away and focusing on everybody else's needs, but by doing what we love because it meets our needs first and foremost inherently without us having to think about it. Next is the law of authenticity, which says that the most valuable gift that you have to offer is yourself. So this goes back to the reflection that I talked about where I was saying that having the intention of sincerity is how you bring yourself to the table. One really amazing idea that I read in the book, The Fifth Agreement by Don Miguel Ruiz is that when you incarnate into this life, your purpose in life is you. It is not anything that you do or anything that you say or any kind of mission or anything like that. It is you as you are. So bringing yourself to the table is what allows people to relate. It is what allows people to really connect with you. And you are the message that people need to experience. So the law of authenticity is the more yourself you are in the work that you do, the more you're able to be yourself and, again, adhere to those needs of sovereignty, autonomy, meaning, and bringing those into, in, into your work, the more you're able to really bring yourself to the table. And the more you're able to bring yourself to your table, the more you're able to connect and the more successful you will become with the people that you serve. And lastly is the law of receptivity which is that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. So many people have this notion that it's better to give than to receive. And in the book, The Go-Giver, what they say is that it is necessary to give in order to receive. So the giving of this value, the giving of it to so many people, the giving of the value in a really authentic way that places other people's needs first is how we create that receiving and how we are allow ourselves to receive compensation for what we do. And we will be rewarded disproportionately when we adhere to these laws. But the key to all of this and the common denominator to all of this when it comes to your integral livelihood is to begin with what you love. When you begin with what you love, you go full on into it, totally present, totally intentional in it, and you become curious about how to get better, how to get really good at the thing because you love it so much. And then you start to tune into how you might be able to get paid for it. And then you start to tune into the feedback that the world is giving you and the world's showing you what it needs from you. And then you're able to live in your ikigai. You're able to live with that integral livelihood. And that is the key. If we are to create integral livelihood, it is important that we look at all of these ideas and we weave them into our whole ethos when it comes to work. So if you enjoyed this episode and this added value to you, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you feel really inspired, be sure to leave a review and share this with somebody that you care about. This is how the podcast spreads. And I am so, so appreciative for all of you who have left reviews and who have shared this with people that you care about, because this is how we are able to spread the word of Zen Stoic philosophy. So this is my integral livelihood and I thank you so much for engaging and for listening because this is what I truly love to do and this is the message that I intend to share.